Hey everybody, this is Erica Janik, Thresholds Managing Editor, and I wanted to tell you about a special virtual event we're hosting to celebrate our seventh anniversary. It's called Stories in the Wild, and it'll be me and Threshold founder Amy Martin talking about everything it takes to make a season of the show. We'll explore what makes a story a threshold story, share our adventures from recording around the world, describe how we work with musicians to score the show, and explain why it is so long between seasons. You'll also have the chance to ask us questions. All it takes to secure your spot is a $5 donation to the show. So join us on March 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, live on Zoom. Go to thresholdpodcast.org to register. We can't wait to meet you and to celebrate seven years of Threshold together. Hey, this is Amy Martin, and what you're about to hear is not Threshold. We're experimenting with something new. From time to time, we're going to start trading content with other shows. We'll introduce you to their work, they'll introduce us to their listeners, and we're starting with our pals at Wyoming Public Media. They are just awesome people who've been champions of Threshold from the very beginning, and they produce a show called Human Nature. I'm really excited for you to hear it, but first, I want to tell you two quick things going on for us. Nick and I had a fascinating final reporting trip to the Arctic, and we're now working really hard on our mini-series about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. If this is an issue that's important to you and you want to understand better what all is going on around it, make sure you're subscribed to our show on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you use. And you might want to join our email list too, so that you know when new episodes are coming out. You can find that at thresholdpodcast.org. And finally, we've got some really exciting opportunities right now for people who might want to join our team. We're currently accepting applications for a full-time development director. That means somebody who goes out and raises money so we can keep doing this work. And also a part-time social media manager. On top of that, we've got a couple of awesome paid internships available. Check it all out at our website. Again, that's thresholdpodcast.org. Oh, and one more thing. A lot of people are asking us about season three, and we are very grateful for your interest. Yes, we are working on it. And no, we're not going to tell you what it's about yet. We're keeping it secret for a little while. Okay, enjoy this episode of Human Nature. And I'm like frantically back paddling. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to hit this bear. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Erin Jones. This time, we'll hear about a woman who took to the wilds of Alaska to find the source of something she loves. Manasa Franklin is a writer who studies water, which she's really afraid of. One, I'm not a very good swimmer. Two, I think it's just so powerful. It's terrifying in how powerful that it is, and I've never spent enough time in it to really learn how to read it and to feel comfortable just letting it move me. Well, really, I wanted to study glaciers. 
and water is just a necessary part of studying glaciers. Like when you're out on ice and you're listening to it and you're watching the light change on it throughout the day, there are these living beings that are constantly moving and shifting and groaning and cracking and they're just really fascinating. Vanessa says there's a lot of stories told about glaciers melting, something that most of us can't really wrap our heads around, since if you're like me, you've never even seen a glacier. So she wanted to follow the whole cycle of water and write about it. To do that, Vanessa went to Homer, Alaska. In Homer, she met up with her friend Elaine. Their plan was to camp on a lake across from Homer's local neighborhood glacier, Gruink, and then they'd follow the glacial melt to the sea. So my friend and I got some pack rafts, and pack rafts are really small and portable rafts that you pack, I mean, as the name suggests. And so they're really great for backpacking, going into sort of remote locations, and it's just one person per raft. And so we wanted to, when we first got to the lake, just paddle toward the face of the glacier just to see what it was like. It's really hard to tell scale when you are out in these places. And so we're on the lake shore looking out at the glacier. And the glacier really doesn't look that far away. Maybe 300, 400 yards. And maybe it's like one or two stories tall. And this is of sheer vertical face. And so as we started paddling out into the lake, it was late in the day. A storm was coming in, we could feel the weather shifting, we could feel the pressure dropping in the air around us, but we just wanted to go and see how close we could get to the face. And you don't want to get too close to the faces of the glaciers because they are calving. So we start paddling out and it's amazing being on this lake because there's all these icebergs that have calved off of the glacier and they're all contorted. You know, there's like really strange shapes that the ice starts to take when they're just sitting in this lake and the wind is changing them and the rain is changing them. And all of the elements are just working on these different icebergs. So we're paddling around these icebergs, which are like these little beings in the lake water. And there's this really strong current that's sort of pulsing off of the glacier. The water is this kind of cloudy, brownish color. And it's colored because the glacier, as it's moving, it scrapes the bedrock beneath it and it kind of grinds up the bedrock into flour. It's called rock flour. And that flour gets suspended in water that pours out of glaciers, which is why water that comes out of glaciers is always a little bit discolored. So we're in the water and it's this kind of brown color and there's clouds gathering and there's this really strong current and Elaine she pulls out in front of me in her pack raft and she's just rafting ahead of me and I'm just sort of getting to know like what it feels like paddling this little raft and they're surprisingly nimble those pack rafts. We start to get toward like the middle of the lake and I realize that I had grossly underestimated the scale and by now, we're several hundred yards off of the main shore where our packs are. 
and we're several hundred yards off of the shore to the left and the shore to the right and still a decent way from the glacier. But I realized that my pack raft is starting to feel really soft and squishy in a way that was like really alarming. And I felt as though rather than like a raft should sit on top of the water, my raft felt like it was sitting in the water. Like it felt like my butt was in the water. And I, I look around, I'm like, my raft is deflating. <laughs> and um, for a minute, I had serious panic. And I realized, though, that it wasn't totally deflating because it hadn't, like, lost all of its air. Like, it was just, like, really, it was really limp and soft. And I could still paddle, but it definitely did not have very much air in it. And I looked to see if I could blow some more air in it because there's a little air valve on the raft that you blow into. And, of course, it was out of reach. I remember I, I called out her name. I was just like, Elaine, and she didn't hear me. And so I was just like, well, I guess I just have to deal with this. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'm in the middle of this lake, and so I guess I'll just keep going and hope for the best. <laughs> I keep paddling toward the glacier. Elaine is much closer to the glacier now. I'm noticing that there's like, clouds that are really gathering, becoming a lot darker above the glacier. The wind is picking up. Elaine has like really brown curly hair and her curls are like going crazy. And I was like using that as like a wind barometer of like, wow, it's getting really windy. Finally, we got close enough that we just decided we were going to stop. And by the time that we stopped, we were probably 30 or 40 yards from the glacier and it had grown exponentially. It was six stories above us now, just this towering wall of ice. And it was like this crazy deep blue in certain spots. And we could see where it had just recently calved. There was this one particular spot that was like really, really deep blue. And that's how you can tell when it's recently calved because in the middle of the glacier it has that deep color blue. So we just stopped and we were just like stared at it and it was incredible. And the water was just like pulsing out of it. And then it started raining so hard. <laughs> so we turned around and we're trying to paddle back as fast as we can. And my raft is like so limp and noodly. And, <laughs> and so it makes it that much harder to paddle when your raft is basically deflated. Finally, we got to the shore. It took way longer than it ought to have. And it's pouring rain. On shore, Manasseh and Elaine inspected her raft. They realized there weren't any leaks. Instead, the air molecules had shrunk in the cold water. We camped on the shore of that glacial lake that night, and it was really delightful. I mean, it was raining, but only on and off. And just so quiet, we're just listening to the water lapping on the shoreline coming out of the glacier. And occasionally we could hear some big pop or crack that was coming from the glacier all the way across the lake because the glacier's constantly shifting.
And the next morning, we tried to melt some little pieces of icebergs for water for coffee. And it was so funny because the icebergs, by the time that they cab off of a glacier, generally the ice is really old. And that means that it's been compacted for years. And so it's really dense. And so we're prodding these like contorted little ice cubes in our camping pot and they're taking forever to melt and we're basically just burning fuel (laughs) trying to melt these little miniature icebergs so we can drink some coffee and then we um then we well did you drink coffee then (laughs) we did that's an important detail it is an important detail (laughs) we wouldn't have been able to survive the rest of the trip without drinking the coffee so (laughs) We did drink coffee and we ate oatmeal with little bits of gravel in it because (laughs) that's another thing about the little icebergs is that they're full of debris, basically really small debris, but still it's it's chewy. (laughs) Did you feel one with the glacier? Yes, actually. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Drinking glacial melt, whether you're melting the little icebergs yourself or you're getting it just out of a meltwater stream on the ice is a really wonderful experience. Yeah. It's very, it feels very pure. Of course, it's probably not the cleanest water in the world, but it feels like it is. Coming up, Manasa and Elaine face a bigger challenge, following that water down an unknown path to the sea. You're listening to a special episode of Threshold featuring a story from Human Nature, a podcast produced by our friends at Wyoming Public Media. And one thing you can do to support all the podcasts you love is to give us a rating or a review on iTunes. You can find Human Nature there. You can find Threshold there. Even just giving us some stars tells the algorithms that a lot of people are listening to and engaging with the content. So thanks for your help with that. And now back to Human Nature. So then we packed up our camp and we loaded all of our stuff on our pack rafts. And then we were going to raft this creek back to the bay. And the creek was a great unknown because it's an obscure creek in Alaska. And there aren't necessarily a lot of ratings for all these little creeks that come out of glaciers. And so we didn't actually know what the creek was rated in terms of difficulty. I had rafted it once before in a large raft with Elaine's sister and some other people the summer before, so I kind of knew that it wasn't like totally crazy, but also I had never rafted a creek by myself. I mean, I'd just been in a pack raft for the first time the day before. I was so nervous. My stomach was just little butterflies as we are setting our pack rafts in the water and giving them time to adjust to the temperature. So at first, it was pretty mellow because we started on the lake and so the water was really calm going to the lake to where it met the actual creek and started to really run. 
Fortunately, Elaine was really experienced in the water, and so just following her lead, I could just watch the way that she moved through the water and try to mirror it. And so we met just like a couple little rapids in the beginning, nothing crazy. I think it was like class two-ish. As we were going along, things just got more intense. And we got into a section where there were like more bigger rapids and like this big rock. And I was looking at it and I was terrified. And I was just like, oh my God, what if I flip over? But my boat bounced off of it and I spun around and I back paddled and I spun back around because the boats are so nimble. It's really a fun thing with the pack rafts. And so then I started to feel a little bit more confident and I was like, okay, cool. I can do this. And we got to like this mellower section and I ended up like pulling out in front of Elaine inadvertently and ended up going back into this new section of rapids. And I could see that there was a little oxbow in the distance. So basically the water's moving really fast into this really tight turn and there's a rock wall that's going to force you to turn. So I'm approaching this and I'm in front of Elaine. She can't get in front of me because I'm moving too fast. I'm in a really strong current and watching this, this wall come closer essentially. And I start like kind of freaking out and I'm like back paddling and trying to like slow myself down because I know that I'm going to hit the wall no matter what. There's no way that I can just like pull into this really sharp kind of like dog's leg bend without hitting the wall. So I start trying to slow myself down, trying to slow myself down so I don't hit it too hard. And I hear Elaine yelling behind me. She's saying like, no, no. And I was like, no worry, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, like planning my, you know, perfectly executed bump against this wall. And right as I'm about to hit the wall, her raft slams into mine. She pushes me right into the wall and I look over and her raft flips and she pops out into the water. And I bounce off the wall and immediately I'm taken by the current and swept around this corner and I can't see anything. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, the worst thing just happened. The worst thing that you think is gonna happen just happened. Like she's in like, you know, 35 degree water or something swimming. Who knows if she hit the wall? I didn't know. So I eddied out as quickly as I could and I like <laughs> stumbled out of my boat before I hit the shore. So of course I'm like, totally drenched because <laughs> I'm just trying to get onto shore as fast as I can. I was able to like crawl up this little rock outcropping, which was the high point of that wall. And I looked down and there she is and she's on the shore, like just dumping out her boat. And oh my God, I was so relieved. <laughs> just like, Are you okay? She was laughing, thankfully. She's like, yeah, I'm just really cold. She's like, I'll come and meet you. So she comes around that bend and um, she meets me on the shore where I had pulled my boat off. And she was fine. She was just really cold. And we were just like standing there and our teeth are chattering. And we'd been in the water. By then we had maybe been in the water for an hour. Somehow, once again, I ended up in front of Elaine. And we went through a section of creek that was like 
It was really mellow and it was so beautiful. You know, it's picturesque Alaska with these like huge evergreens on the side of the creeks and just like strewn logs and everything feels really kind of wild. The colors are really saturated and just beautiful. And just paddling along and paddling along and the, the water pace starts to pick up again. And I'm kind of just like floating along, moving, and I can feel the current is, it's moving quick, but it's nothing crazy. About like 40 yards in front of me, I spot a bear lumbering toward the edge of the creek. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm gonna hit that bear. <laughs> <laughs> the bear didn't notice me, just moving ever so slowly toward the creek. And I'm like frantically back paddling. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm gonna hit this bear. And I'm looking around, to the different sides of the creek. Like, where can I pull off? How can I pull off? And I see this tiny, pitiful little strip of gravel, and I just jam my paddle into it as hard as I can. And the bear just gets into the water <laughs> <laughs> and is moving so slowly. <laughs> Hasn't noticed me, thank God. And I'm just watching it, and I'm holding my boat in this little gravel strip, and my arm is just burning so much because I'm holding the boat against the current that is pushing so hard, trying to propel me toward this bear. <laughs> and the bear just like moves through the water and just kind of like hangs out in the middle of the creek for a minute, looks around, doesn't see me, and then slowly gets out of the water. And I let go of my gravel strip and I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Because <laughs> can you imagine just like rafting into a bear <laughs> in the Alaskan wilderness? <laughs> I start moving in the water again. The bear's out of sight now. And I eddy out. I see a spot that I can. And Elaine comes up behind me and she's like, did you see that bear? And I was like, did I see that bear? <laughs> I thought I was going to run into it. <laughs> and we got into like this delta area where the creek started to kind of flow off into all of these different braided channels. And it was magical because the tide was out. And so there's just these little like seaweed strewn channels so we can see that we're starting to get into the saltwater zone. Finally, we got close enough to the bay that the channel started to open up and we emerged into what suddenly was huge open water. You know, it's so different when you're in a creek or a contained body of water where you can see shorelines and you can at least feel the anchors of that, those kind of markers around you. 
And then when you're spit out into open water, you realize just how tiny you are in this little itty bitty raft. That would take a very long time to go anywhere in. And so we enter the open water and we start to see these little shiny heads popping up far away from us and then closer. And there's sea otters that are surrounding us. And one will put its head up and look at us and then disappear. And then another will put its head up like a little bit closer and then disappear. And then another puts its head up and disappears. And it was this whole collection of them. They were all hanging out around us as we were just entering into the bay. At the bay, a friend picked them up in his boat and took them back to town. Once we had loaded the pack rafts in Elaine's car, we were like, oh my God, we need a beer. <laughs> so we went to this pizza joint. A friend of hers was sitting there and we were just like gushing. We had so much energy. We were talking to him and, and we're like, we just rafted Gruen Creek. And he was like, you just rafted Gruen Creek? That's like class three. <laughs> what were you doing out there? <laughs> So that was kind of fun. We're like, well, we survived. (laughs) Sometimes it can be really limiting to know what you're getting into because you might not actually do it. My whole understanding of glaciers and climate change expanded when I began to realize just how glaciers and All of the water that we as humans depend on every day are connected. Where the melt water that's coming out of those glaciers directly feeds our irrigation. It directly goes into our water tables, which provides drinking water, shower water, hose water. All of these water sources that we as humans depend on come from this source. I have so much respect for water having witnessed it coming from its source. Our storyteller was Manassa Franklin. She's a writer living in Carbondale, Colorado. You can find a link to more of her stories at our website, humannaturepodcast.org. I'm Erin Jones. This story was produced by me with line production from Caroline Ballard. Editing help came from Micah Schweitzer, Anna Rader, and Greg Bronco. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature. Thanks again to the folks at Wyoming Public Media for sharing this episode of Human Nature with us and for all the ways that they have been supportive of Threshold from the beginning. You can check out more of their work at humannaturepodcast.org or wherever you get your podcasts.